All right, here we go. A little bit of review. A couple of weeks ago, we said the essence of being a Christ follower is following, following Christ. Christ. Doesn't take rocket scientists to figure that out, but it's important because it's spiritual power behind that. Last week, we talked about um, how an, another insight that God gave me is, is that we are commanded to follow Christ-like models and be Christ-like models. It's not just that it happens, but rather that's the way the gospel works. That's the way the, the, the way of God works. And so throughout Scripture, we see that we're supposed to identify Christ-like models, be Christ-like models, so that we can grow. And last week we said deliberately choose Christ-like models, deliberately be Christ-like models. The Christ-like models is the environment for the shape experience. And then um, read the Bible through that lens. As I began to look into Philippians 3 even more, and, and several weeks ago I said, this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And so I didn't think it would take a lot of study in preparation for the Sunday messages, but as I've, as I've dug into it and as I've listened to it over and over again on, um, in audio, there's just so much embedded in Philippians 3 that I never realized. Um, there's so much depth and breadth and application. And one of the things that popped out this week is that Philippians makes better sense with the Apostle Paul in a general's uniform. If we read it or, or listen to Philippians through that lens, that he is serving as a commanding officer <clears throat> to troops, us, who are fighting a spiritual war, there's a depth and a breadth to it that I'd never seen before. Because context makes all the difference. Context, and so I put another statement there, that context creates aha moments that we don't recognize unless we have the context. If we read um, Philippians as if it's um, um, the church is a nice society, you know, just kind of a nice club that is in Philippi and Paul established it and now that he left and he's, and he's writing some suggestions and some recommendations, then really we don't catch what's there and, we, and it really doesn't even make sense. But if we read it through the lens of um, Paul as a, a, a general serving under Jesus Christ and giving orders to his troops... It, it, some lights begin to come on. So open your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Let me show you the verses that we've already looked at, um, how they came alive for me a little bit this week. Philippians chapter 3. Anybody need a Bible? We've got some in the back. The ushers will deliver. Anybody want one? Okay. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. 
If the context is the Apostle Paul as a general writing to his troops, he says, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. He's saying the, uh, Jesus Christ has already won the war. So take confidence in the battles that you're fighting. If we're, if we're looking at it like a teacher or you know, somebody who has established a club, rejoice in the Lord. Oh yeah, have a party, you know, have, have, you know, sing a few songs and celebrate a little bit. It, it doesn't have the force behind it. But if he's writing to people who are on the front lines and he's saying, rejoice, the battle's already won. The rejoice, the war's already won. You have to fight the skirmishes, but he's already won. It makes all the difference in the world. This is serious stuff, he's saying, because you're fighting spiritual battles. Verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about a group of people who were called the Judaizers who were teaching that in order to be a Christian, then you have to become a Jew first. So you have to have circumcision and you have to adopt all the Jewish rules and regulations and all of that. Now, that language is the language of, of harshness, isn't it? Look out for the dogs. It makes sense if, if the Apostle Paul is a general who is addressing his troops and saying, you have an enemy on the other side of those lines who's trying to destroy you. The dogs, the mutilators of the flesh, the evildoers. That makes sense if we are on the front line of a battle. It doesn't make sense if I'm a teacher or if it's a social club and we just all want to get along, right? If it's just people, you know, our neighbors, they disagree with us or they're part of a different kind of an organization. But when we understand that these people were trying to destroy the work of Jesus, it makes sense that he would call them out for who they are. And then in verse 3, he says, for we are the circumcision. In other words, because of Jesus Christ, it's circumcision of the heart instead of the body. And we are those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. So here's the context. We are the true freedom fighters. We're not just a nice group that meets once a week to have cookies and tea and talk about the weather. It says, we are the true freedom fighters. We are the ones on the front line. We are the ones filled with the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who worship God properly. And we are the ones that are storming the gates of hell. He says, we are. And, and, and that puts us at odds with those who are fighting that. Now our struggle, he said in Ephesians, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. But the enemy, the unseen enemy, is using people. And we need to recognize when the enemy is using people to try to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes. Because it's a battle. And it's a battle for the souls of people. It's a battle for the glory of God. It's not just a nice social organization. The context makes all the difference in the world. Doesn't it? And it's, and it's not even for this life that we're fighting for. It's for the next. Because this life ends. And several of our songs talked about that. False voices claim to know the way to God and they take many form. But the litmus test is who are they following? 
who are they obeying? And we need to recognize that we are the true covenant holders. So let's, with that kind of context, then let's continue on in our study of, of Philippians with some actions that, that lead to true satisfaction, meaning, and fulfillment, that lead to really embracing this idea that what God offers is better. It, compared to what God offers, everything is manure or trash. Number one, we need to take an inventory of our earthly realm achievements. Take an earthly realm of your earthly realm achievements. And what I mean by earthly realm achievements, the things that you are depending on or you look to to, to make sense of your life. Um, or uh, One of the things that I discover with people, it's hard for them to admit that they can't earn favor with God. But we can't. Because if you ask somebody on the street, um, do, you, do, you have a, do you think God is pleased with you? Generally, they will say, well, I'm a good person, right? Have you ever heard that? I'm a good person. I do good things. I, I haven't killed anybody. That's usually one of the standard lines. Um, I haven't killed anybody. You know, I haven't done it. You know, I haven't. And, and I try to be good. I try to be nice. I try to help people. And, you know, I, all of those kinds of things. That's religion. That's, that's trying to earn favor with God. And, and so the Apostle Paul says we need to take an inventory of all those things that we think depend, that will make us pleasing to God versus the things that will actually give a relationship with God. So continue on in Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. A reality check is that human achievement is a mirage. Human achievement is a mirage. So here, my picture, I remember when I was growing up, I would watch these old westerns, and, and then sometimes in these westerns, a cowboy would have, you know, his horse had run off, he'd, he'd, done, he'd used up all his water, and he's on his hands and knees, and he's crawling through, um, what, what is that uh, desert out there in California? What's, what? Maybe Death Valley, that's what I, you know, death, death, it, and so he's on his hands and knees and he's crawling and he looks up and he sees in the distance um, and, and, and they always got to blur, you know, it's like, you know, these heat waves are going on and he sees what he thinks is going to rescue his life because he's on the edge of death. He's looking for a way to find life. And as he's crawling to it and he gets to it and it's a mirage. I always liked that word because I never spoke French when I was a kid. A mirage is a mirage, and he gets there, and it's nothing. Or it it it's a, a one tree, but the pond is dried up, and he and he can't get there. All of our human achievements, everything that we accomplish in this life, that appear to lead to some value that would make God be pleased with us, is a mirage. It's nothing. It doesn't give life at all. In fact, it can, it can make death more torturous and worse. So reality check is that human achievement is a mirage. And as I have conversations with people who have been in um, churches that were very rule-oriented and regulated, I hear them talk about, I did everything right. I served as an altar boy, or I, you know, I, I went to you know, religious school, and I did all the things I was supposed to do. 
And then I, I looked around and I realized it was just all, I was just going through the motions. It was all ritual. It never gave me satisfaction because it was a mirage. And that's what Paul begins to talk about in verse 4. So in verse 3 he says um, that um, we, we worship by the Spirit of God, give glory to Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. And then verse 4 he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. So he says, I've been where those people are, those Judaizers that believe that you have to fulfill all these rules and regulations and, and you have to get circumcised and all that. He says, I have been there. And he holds himself as, a, as if he's a superhero in the, in the Jewish faith, which he actually kind of was without any superpowers. But he was the consummate. And so he, he goes on to, to list it. He says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That sounds arrogant, doesn't it? And yet, he was just being truthful. He wasn't being proud because he had given up on having any confidence in the flesh. He had already jettisoned that when he accepted Christ as Savior, but he said, before that, I was better than any of these. And in fact, the credentials he's about to list, the Judaizers, any of those Judaizers would love to have. And then he begins to list them. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, as the zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So here's Paul's human achievements. And I put them in your outline. I put a lot of text there for you. You can go back and look it up later if you want. But the, here's the list. The first four things he says, I had... Not, the, not by anything I did, but because I was born in the right place at the right time in the, when, with the right people. It's, it's like, you know, I, I tried to think of things that would compare it to. Um, but so he says he was circumcised at eight days. That means he was born a Jew. Because the Jewish converts would have been circumcised later in their lives. But because he was born in the Jewish faith, as one of the people of God, one of the chosen people of God, he was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. He was of the people of Israel. His parents were both Jews, and he could trace his family lineage all the way back to Abraham. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a tribe from which Israel's first king came, Saul. A tribe that held special place of honor, was viewed as one of the, the, the higher um, tribes in the Jewish nation. And then he said he was born a Hebrew son of Hebrew parents. And so he, um, Hebrew was his native tongue. He was the consummate Jewish proud person. I have the heritage and I can point you to it. And then the second category are Paul's achievements that he personally earned. So he said, I was all of that and then I became a Pharisee. Pharisees were the religious leaders that Jewish mothers would tell their children to look up to and become like. They were held in great esteem. They were the keepers of the Torah, the law. They were the strictest sect, keeping not only the, the, the laws of the Old Testament Torah, but also additional um, clarifications and details. 
And, and he said, I was a Pharisee. I would, not only that, but I was a zealous persecutor of the church. I was a defender of God. And I would go to any extreme to defend God's name. And then finally, he says, blameless. I had a blameless external record of legalistic righteousness. I find that amazing. But nobody ever appeared to challenge him on this. And so they had like 602 different rules and regulations they had to keep. And Paul says, I did it all. In another place he says, and I studied under Gamaliel, who was one of the top teachers of the day. Paul was saying, as to the external stuff, I was the cream of the crop. I had more than any of these Judaizers could ever claim to have. So as I was studying this, I'm, I'm thinking, huh? what do you compare that to? It's, it's hard for us to grasp because we're not Jewish. But if you can, in your mind, think of anybody that you would say is the consummate, ultimate hero that I would want to be like because of who they are, what they have, and what they've accomplished, that would be the Apostle Paul. The person that would make you so nervous that if you got in their presence, you, you wouldn't be able to speak. You would just blubber, your mouth would dry up, and, and you wouldn't even be able to talk. It's that person who had accomplished it all. It's that person that people would say, well, if anybody's going to heaven, it's, it's going to be that person. And Paul says, that's who I was. I had all of that. And along with that would come wealth, fame, popularity, privilege. It, it, he had it all. And yet, he says, compared to knowing Christ, all of that is like manure. Which brings us to the second. So we, we so let me, before we go to number two, I would give you this challenge this week, is to sit with God and ask him, what are the kinds of things that I'm leaning on in this physical realm? that I don't even know about? What are the kinds of things that I'm depending on, that I'm holding on to? One of the ways to test that is to ask yourself, is there anything that God could ask me to do that I would say, that's too much? Is there anything that he would ask me to give up that I would say, no, that's too much? Because that's an indicator that I'm holding on to something in this physical realm. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Sit with God. Because he's the one that knows our hearts. Number two. Do the comparison of earthly realm works to heavenly realm faith. 
do the comparison. So last week I had ER and HR in the, and several people came up to what what is that? Is that some kind of new song code? Is that you know is that a secret? You know, ER we've used it like two years ago. We were using it a lot. Earthly realm is the physical, the things that you can see, touch, taste, feel. Heavenly realm is the unseen, those things that last forever, the, the eternal kinds of stuff. So what Paul does next is he compares his earthly realm works with heavenly realm faith. Pleasing God or hanging on to human achievement. Then I put a bullet point there. Losing all to gain Christ is the oasis. Losing everything, setting everything aside is the oasis. So let's go back to those old cowboy films. The cowboy is dying. He's on his hands and knees. He's crawling towards the mirage. He is dying. He's literally dying. If he doesn't get um, water soon, he's going to die. His, his body, his organs are going to start shutting down and he will die. He will expire. Every once in a while in those movies, he would crawl to a place and there would actually be an oasis. The oasis literally saves his life because he finds water that is absolutely necessary for surviving. And so human achievement is a mirage. It, it gives us promises that we will find life, but God's grace, having faith in Jesus Christ, is actually the life-giving uh, uh, supply that we need. And, and in fact, Jesus even talked about streams of living water will flow from us, from the Holy Spirit. The life that is really life. So losing everything by giving it all up, by surrendering it all, we actually gain life. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, don't... Um, one of the mistakes that sometimes people make is when they read this chapter, they think, oh, so everything in this life is manure. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying everything in this life compared to knowing Christ is manure. There's a lot of good stuff in this life, like popcorn. I don't know if there's going to be popcorn in heaven or not. I hope so. I hope so. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in this life. Relationships with friends and family and you know, going to Williamsburg with Sheila. That, that was good. That, it's not bad. What he's saying is the, contra the compare and contrast is that no matter how good it is in this life, it's like manure compared to, to the pleasure and wonder and life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing him and living with him and then having eternity with him. So he says, all of that that I achieved, that everyone would look up to, everything that I gain, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing, that's the word, surpassing worth, circle that one, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing him, having a relationship with him. In the old way, under the old way with Paul is a Pharisee who was always trying to earn God's favor. He was trying to be good enough for God. And now he says, with faith, I, know, I have this personal relationship that I was created for, that the human race was created for back in the Garden of Eden. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Suffered. There's, a, there's another important word. It's not that it was easy to give any of that up. But giving it up was best. And here's the struggle. God, as we go through this journey of life, will point out things that he wants us to surrender. And it's hard. And it feels like suffering. And it feels like difficulty. It feels painful. Why? Because it is good. It is pleasurable. But it's manure compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Count them as rubbish. That word um, can be used in a variety of different ways. It could be manure, but it also describes any uh, like scraps that would be thrown out. Anything that is of no worth anymore. And so it would be the pile heap of, of trash and, and dung and, and all the things that nobody wanted anymore. Um, I was talking to Daniel this morning and I was talking to him about this scripture and I said, um, what, is it, what is it that makes you gag? And that came to mind and I thought, that's a pretty good definition of this word. Stuff that makes you gag. And then he, he told me about something I'd never even heard of, jackfruit. Anybody heard of jackfruit? Yeah. Yeah. And he said, that makes me gag. He said, I almost threw up when I ate that. Now, I want you to think of what is it? What, what was that? Oh, you did throw up. Hmm. That's, so I counted all things as jackfruit compared to the spassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. What is it that makes you? I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. Because I might lose half the people in this room you start describing it. Um, but it's, if you've had trash cans at your house for any length of time, and you haven't rinsed them out for a while, that's the kind of stuff that makes me gag. Right? Just, I, I remember working at a grocery store and they had these dumpsters in the back in Houston, Texas, where it got up to 110 degrees in the summertime. And nobody ever washed those things out. I'd have to go out and take stuff out and... That would, that's the kind of stuff that would make you sick. That's what he's describing here. Compared to knowing Christ and living with Christ, everything in our life, the very best that we have, the, very, the most pleasurable, the most wonderful, everything is that compared to knowing Christ. And so he says, do the math. Do the math. Make the logical calculations. He says, he, his, he, he uh, counted it up. He, he looked at it. And he said, compared to knowing Christ, everything, no matter what it is, is trash. It's nothing. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing in relationship. Knowing, that word knowing is intimacy. That word know is the same word used um, in the scripture when it talks about Mary and Joseph. Joseph did not know Mary until after Jesus was born. That kind of intimacy, relationship. It's not what Jesus can do for you, not, not what he can provide for you. It's the relationship itself. About a week and a half ago, I had 
the privilege of watching my uh, four-year-old grandson, Landon, for the whole day. Sheila was supposed to be there to help out, but she had to work. And so I got him to myself all day long. I get a text at 7 o'clock that morning with a picture of Landon with his backpack on. He wasn't supposed to leave the house until 8, but he's already got his backpack on. And he says, is it time to go? Is it time to go? Is it time to go? His mom said, um, he must have asked me 7,000 times. Is it time to go? Is it time to go see Grandpa? Is it time to go see Grandpa? Are we leaving yet? So finally they got there a little bit before 8. And he walked in and he said, Grandpa, I just love being with you. And that's exactly what my heart did. I just love being with you. For the next eight hours, he must have said it 50 times. I just love being with you. And he came in the, in the living room and we got some toys out and he looked at, Grandpa, I just love being together with you. We played around the house for a little while and uh, he wanted to go outside and play, but it was kind of chilly and so we didn't do that. So we decided to go to the mall and play on the little play area that they have there. I um, parked at one end and the play area is on the other end, so we had to walk the whole length of the mall. I said, hold on my hand so I don't get lost because grandpas get lost sometimes. So he held on to my hand and as we're walking along, he goes, Grandpa, don't you just love being together? All day long. We went to the Target, we looked at the toys and got some food. Grandpa, don't you just love being together? And then we got home and, and we had some lunch and we were watching VeggieTales and he's like, Grandpa, don't you just love being together? <laughs> we went and we came here and we played on the playground out here for a while and did some other things and throughout the day, Grandpa, don't you just love being together? Grandpa, I love being together with you. Now, understand, we didn't do anything productive. Not one thing. We read books, we played, we messed around in the yard, we walked around the mall. We, we just didn't, didn't, there was nothing of real value happening. And yet Landon, when he was ready to go home, he going, Grandpa, didn't you just love being together? Yeah, exactly right. And I think a four-year-old's got it right when it comes to our relationship with God. Now, understand, God wants us to do things to accomplish. Now, 20 years from now, when he's 24, I hope he's doing some things productive. Right? But right now, it's just about relationship. The shape training will help us figure out how to be with God, be with Jesus Christ, and accomplish the things he wants us to do. Because there's another level of enjoyment that will come with Landon as we begin to do things together side by side that are productive. Someday, maybe I'll even teach him how to use power tools. No, no, we shouldn't do that. Okay. How about a ruler? Would a ruler be okay? <laughs> what was that? A plastic one, yeah. I think Paul would invite us 
to be with God and develop that. Now, now understand when, bro, when Lana was first born, he wasn't saying that. But now after we've had four years of interacting and him from the time he was a baby sitting on my lap, sleeping on my chest, changing his diapers, going through, building the relationship so that at four years old when he comes over and we're together, there's a strong, hey, he knows I love him. He knows I value him. He knows I care about him. I think, I think Paul would say that's what God wants from us as our heavenly father. And, and you know you're getting there when you spend time with God and the same kinds of words come from you. Lord, I just love spending time with you. I love being in your presence. I love experiencing life with you. Indeed, verse 8, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. By the way that we live, by the way that we use our time, by the way that we use our resources, the values and priorities do we hold, does that indicate to other people that I consider everything as what's left in the bottom of a trash can compared to knowing Jesus Christ? That's the question. We have to get there somehow. I'm going to close there. And we'll come back to what Paul gained. So an explanation of what Paul gained in the rest. Let me say this again. I don't believe that there's any way to really evaluate if we are where Paul was. Everything is dung. Everything's the bottom of a trash can compared to the surpassing, no, surpassing worth of knowing Christ without the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. Because the, the Bible tells us our heart is deceitful. And unless the Holy Spirit points it out, we're not going to know it. So I guess one of my challenges to you this week is to do the inventory. Sit with God and ask Him, Lord, is there anything that I'm holding on to that you are saying to me, let it go? Because you're, you're not experiencing some of the surpassing greatness of knowing me because you're holding on to something else. I can't fill your hands with that greatness because your hands are full of other stuff. And it could be good stuff. It doesn't have to be bad stuff. But is there stuff you're holding on to and as a result you're not experiencing it? I can't tell you how many times over the last 10 days since Lana and I spent that day together that I just come back to... Grandpa, I just love spending time with you. Grandpa, don't, isn't it so good to spend time together? I think if we pause, we'll hear that same thing from Jesus. 
Amen. And what I know is that it will bring tears to your eyes mm -hmm. and it will be the oasis that will give you life. Yes. Yes. So would you bow your heads? Lord, you describe that kind of satisfaction, meaning, fulfillment in your word. But we confess that we have so few really good points of reference for it. Um, it's so hard to comprehend the value and the treasure of knowing you. So, Lord, I pray boldly in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal it to us this week. That you would give us taste, that you would give us insights, that you would make the light bulb go on in our, in our souls that would show us the deep value of that. Whatever it takes, God. No matter how hard it is for you to pry the trash cans out of our fingers in order to wrap them around you, I pray that you would do it as we, we lead up to the shape training, that you would give us that perspective and that it would be so powerful and so wonderful that we can't help but living it and talking about it and letting other people see it through us. God, we, I, we, we just need you to show us. So whatever you want to do. I pray that you would take the truth of this message and drive it home and guide us through our week. Um, accomplishing exceedingly abundantly more than all that we could ask or imagine in knowing you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.